Thanks, Stephanie. I heard you do a little of that last week, and I couldn't wait for you to get back here and get it done this week. God bless you for being here today. Thank you for being here. You know you just heard the gospel, don't you? That is the gospel. I've been set free. Chains are, are gone. And I just want to say this. If you don't have that testimony today, you've never been set free. Never been saved. This message, I hope, will speak to you today. You know, laying the foundation, laying any kind of foundation is important. It just is. Now, you guys who build, you know what I'm talking about. You cut corners on the foundation, you're going to have a suspect building. It may stand, it may not stand. But if you don't have that firm foundation, danger exists. These uh, these first weeks together, I've been trying to lay the foundation of, of the vision that God has given me for for New Hope Church. You see on the on the screen of those five core beliefs that we've been working our way through. That I told you last week that I hope if somebody asks you, you'll be able to give them that the Bible is indeed our guidebook. God loves us and has a plan for us. All people matter to God. We seek to honor God in all we do, and the local church is the hope of the world. Today, in just a second, we're going to move forward with that fourth core belief. I want to ask you something. Have you ever have you ever thought that you had what God wanted you to have, and then all of a sudden God kind of arrested you, gave you a pause, and reminded you of something? Well, I will tell you, I was working on this message, and... Um, Unusual that I I got it kind of laid to bed Wednesday night so I could meditate on it, and then as I, as I was reading Thursday and Friday the book of Malachi, God just kind of gave me a word here from Malachi that I want to just give you as a just to affirm that we're headed in the right direction when we say we seek to honor God in all we do. In Malachi, if you remember, that's the last book before. God just withdrew His presence and His Word from the earth for 400 years. If you read the book of Malachi, you understand why. Because people had gotten so sinful. At the end of chapter 1, chapter 1 is all about, God says, I really wish somebody just closed down church because your sacrifices are an abomination. And then He ends it, in chapter 1, he says, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared, or better translated for us today, honored among the nations. Chapter 2, he says, And now, O priest, now in case you're thinking he's talking to the preachers, please understand that everybody in this room who has been saved is a priest. That's called the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I've already, indeed, I've already cursed them, because you do not take it to heart. Now, I could go on and read more, and it's a little scary, because it says, and I will curse your children, and I'll put refuge you know what that is? Dung. You know what that is? You know what that is? That's lot fertilizer. I will put it on the faces of your kids. He calls us to honor His name. That's 
kind of startling words from God. We don't like to hear those words in the 21st century, particularly 21st century America where it's been so good. But our foundational statement, we seek to honor God in all we do, is required if we're going to receive the favor of God. And honestly, that's why everybody's here today. We want to receive the favor of God. We want to honor His name and Him. So if you will, take your Bibles and turn to Mark, I mean, excuse, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. As we share the word today, we seek to honor God in all we do. Now those five statements that were on our, on our screen that I've already gone over, of all those statements, this may be the most personally challenging statement. But we need to hear it. We need to hear the truth of it. Because if we do not hear, you see it on the screen, if we do not hear it, if we do not know it, if we do not embrace it, then we are not ever going to fulfill the calling of God. We're going to miss the calling of God for this church. Notice up there the last three words. All we do. All we do. The truth is, the truth is, is that many in our culture, maybe even many in this room, we're good with the first part of that. We seek to honor God. But it's that last part in all we do. It's like last week. All people matter to God. So I want to ask right here before we read, before we proceed forward, is this your life? Do you live your life seeking to honor God in all you do? Yeah, Brother Jerry, I'm pretty good. Oh, that's great. Here's a question for you. What if Jehovah God came and stood in the place where I'm standing? Now, you do know that He understands, that He knows with those eyes of fire, He can look to our... Through our facade, he can see our heart. What if he were to stand here and go, Yes, no, yes, no, 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 no. You go, well, God wouldn't do that. Well, let me just remind you, one day he's going to do that. Because Matthew tells us that one day he's going to go, Goat, sheep. Goat, sheep. Goat, sheep. Because that's who our Lord is. Today we get to Matthew chapter 6. And we hear Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount affirming this statement. If you can and you will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word as we begin in verse 24. Jesus speaks and He says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or... He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or old King James Mammon. Therefore, Jesus continues, I tell you, do not be anxious. I'm going to pause there to say that means don't worry. Hello? Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on or wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, that's worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious, worrying about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But, if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious. Everybody tell me what that means. One word. Worry. Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Now here, hang on. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Heavenly Father, I pray I pray for you to come in a way that you've not come before. Heavenly Father, let us feel your manifest presence. Help us embrace you and your name and your kingdom in ways we never have before. I pray that you will ignite the cold heart, that you will break up the hard heart, that you will lance the calloused heart. I pray that you will remind us that people need you, and the only way we lead people to you is by honoring you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My mentor is a man named Dr. Ted Trailer. He pastors at Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. I've heard Brother Ted say many times, the Bible doesn't say what it means. The Bible doesn't mean what it says. The Bible means what it means. And that is particular to our text today. Particularly for those folks who read this and they want to say that this is my reason that I don't work. This is why I don't plan. This is why I don't take responsibility because they improperly improperly interpret this to mean that we don't have to do anything except set on our backsides because the Lord will pay our bills and buy our clothes and feed us and take care of everything. Now, if you attempt to take that type of don't worry passage that way, then you have made God a little more than your servant and your doorkeeper. Because that's not what it's saying at all. 
This text is power-packed to pull us to Him, to honor Him in all we do. When I read this text, I find, among other things, for today I find three actions for us if we're going to honor God, seeking to honor God in all we do. The first action that I find there is the decisions we make. You can make that personable. The decisions I must make. You see, there's an old song, I don't know that you've ever heard it, it's entitled, I Choose Jesus. Uh, The first words of that song say, Some say life is just a series of decisions. We make choices. We live and learn. Certainly, in our lives, decisions are a part of everything we do. But Jesus begins with that decision. And He simply says, up in verse 24, He says, No one, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl can serve two masters. It is a physical impossibility. And He raises the stakes. Now listen for those that want to uh, straddle the fence, and we'll get there in a second. He raises the stakes and He says, Either you are... Hate the one, love the other, be devoted to one, or despise the other. In other words, you've got to make a choice. You have to make a choice. And that begins with what Stephanie just sang about. That begins with your decision about Jesus to be saved, to be set free. I fear... Listen, I am one of us. Somebody asked me, would I be one of us? I am one of us. I was raised in the country of Lamar County like you were raised in the country of Marion County. So listen, I am one of us. Too often, we face a form of cultural Christianity where we just go to church, go to Sunday school, we do all the right things. At the proper age, we get baptized. We join the church. But nothing ever happens here. You see, Jesus says there's only one way to God. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. I can't say it loud enough, long enough, or emphatic enough. It is not your church membership. It is not your mode of baptism. It is not your heritage. It is not your legacy. It's not the fact that your daddy was a deacon or your granddaddy was a pastor. It's not a matter that you've been a deacon 30 years. It is only what you have done with Jesus that makes you saved or lost. You see, I'll just remind you of this too. No one is saved after death. Oh, I'm just going to wait, Brother Jerry. Really? Really? How many friends have you known that were waiting and the end of their life came suddenly? I implore you, make that decision. Don't delay. You know, making choices is a, is a Bible thing. At the end of Joshua's life, he stood in front of the children of Israel and he said, Choose you today who you will serve. You know what they said? We'll serve God. But you know what they did, church? They lied. They lied. 
It's more than just saying who you will serve. It's choosing who you will serve. Elijah stood on the mountain and he said, If God be God, serve Him. If Baal be God, serve Him. He's shouting, Choose, 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 decide. Decide who you will honor. Decide who you will live for. Decide who you will serve. Decide. Listen, folks. Decide who is your God. It's the decision that we must make. It's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote these words. Young people always like it when I get to this verse. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If I've had one, I've had three dozen young people to go, what in the world is a double-minded man? Okay, I want you to listen. That's a man that talks out of both sides of his mouth. That's a man that whoever he's in the presence of, that's what he says. For everybody here who's got your political antenna up, yes, we could go political there, but we're not going to. This is a spiritual issue. This is a spiritual issue. The truth is, is that there are people, maybe people in this church, maybe people in this room, you don't want to give it all to God and give up your claim on the world, but you don't want to... uh, um, uh, give up your claim on the world and give it all to God. Give, a, uh, give, it, uh, give up your claim to God and give it all to the world. You don't want to do that. Double-minded. And you know what happens when you're like that? you got one foot in the church, one foot in the world, and you're miserable in both. I've been in, worked on enough farms, guys, to know that when you're... St- did it come back? I'm gonna say that again. I've been on a farm. I've worked enough on a farm to know that when you're straddled something, you're hurting, unless it's a horse. You get straddled of a fence, you want to get off of it because you see it hurts. And when you're spiritually straddled the world, one foot, one foot in the church, one foot in the world, you're hurting. And here, listen to me. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people love company. Misery loves company. The decisions make begins with the one that I would term like this Whose are you? Whose are you? You know what you have to do to be a member of the kingdom of the world? Listen, I'm going to make it as simple as I can. Nothing. Nothing. Satan slithered into the garden as a snake, and he took care of that. He deceived Eve, and then Adam made the choice to be like Eve. And ever since then, we have to do nothing. By the way, Satan's got your number. He knows... You might write this down and remember this. He knows your weakness. 
And He knows when you're weakest. And He is willing, He is willing to use that against you. The truth is, if you're of the kingdom of God, Jesus is your friend, Jesus is your comforter, Jesus is your companion, Jesus is your savior, Jesus is your leader, Jesus is your guide. You have your eyes fixed on Him, you have your heart fixed on Him. He controls your life every day. But listen, it is a decision. And I'm sorry to say that many people decide to come to church and not come to Jesus. The decisions you make if we're going to honor Him in all we do. Second thing I see here, not only the decisions we make, but the directions that we take. (laughs) Directions we take. (laughs) I will say this, and the ladies will know I'm telling the truth, and the men will wish that I'd go back to to the office and be quiet. We hate taking directions. I thought I'd get some ladies saying amen. In fact, the only thing we hate worse than directions are those things that come in a box called instructions. First cousin. But listen, Jesus gives us directions here. He, he does. He broaches the subject about anxiety or worry. Because He wants to bring clarity to our thinking. We spend so much time worrying, we can't think clearly. He gives us the visual illustrations of all of the, of the needs, food, clothing, shelter, and the like. And then He lays out some directions for us. Down in verse 33, which may be easy to read, but they're not necessarily easy to, to follow. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's the full verse. Let's just break it down just for a second. Hang with me. Seek. Seek. When you seek something, you aim at it, you strive for it, you go for it. The truth is, brothers and sisters, everybody in this room today is seeking after something. Many of us seeking after many things. What about? What if we sought God as much as we sought a good fishing hole? Or as much as we sought that trophy buck? Or as much as we sought that turkey? Or ladies, as much as we sought our favorite recipe or we, we sought our favorite thing? You see, folks, please listen. When you seek after something, you don't sit around and wait for it to come to you. You go get it. Seek, Jesus said. I want you to think about it. What is it that drives you? What is it that you seek? I mean, you know what it is. What is it that controls your thoughts? What controls your actions? What controls your days? At the end of the day, I asked you this question. What is it that you're seeking? The leaders of our church, the deacons, staff, and others... Sunday school leadership have heard me have heard me kind of say this in another way. But Stephen Covey in his seven habits habits of highly effective people, his second habit 
is stated this way. Listen, it'll help you. Begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. That means, what is it that you want to accomplish at the end of the day? What is it that you want to accomplish at the end of your life? If I put it in context of this church, as we've talked about, opening Sunday school, which we're going to try to do on December the 6th, talk about other things... I've asked a lot of them, what is it that we're trying to accomplish here? We're not just trying to have Sunday services and have Sunday school and all the things we've had before. We're trying to do something for the Lord. We're trying to take irreligious people, people who don't know the Lord, people who have no connection to the Lord, and we're trying to, if they come here in five years, that they can be disciples of Christ. Begin with the end in mind. Seek it. Seek it. You see, folks, if we, if we take this approach in our lives, we can please God. We can enjoy life. We can enjoy the life that He wants us to have. And I might just say this to you. Oh, Brother Jerry, did you just say we're not going to do something we did before? We might not. We're going to figure out what it is God called us to do and be on the creek. And then we're going to follow His leadership. We're going to seek it. But he, Jesus doesn't just stop with seeking, going after it, getting it, striving for it. He says, seek first. First! Man, that's top priority. You know what first is. Let me story. Let me just illustrate this in a way that everybody here knows what it, you can identify. We have some friends in Florida living in a town that we lived in for a while and and their football team had actually won a state championship in Florida. Football state championship in Florida. I think it was 5 or 6A. Tough stuff. We were visiting them, and I inquired about their team. I said, how'd your team do this year? And he goes, 3-7. and seven. And I was a little shocked. And I said, that's a little unusual without missing a beat. He said, and unacceptable. Everybody here who's a sports fan, you know that feeling. Unacceptable. You see, we know about this seat first because the concept of being first is our top priority. It gets our attention. It gets our time. It's what we talk about. It's what we spend our money on. It's what we value it's being a winner. By the way, you do understand that the Apostle Paul taught us to be winners. He said, run in such a way that you win. The issue is not wanting to win. The real issue is what we want to win at. That's not good English, but it's accurate concept. What is it that's top place in our lives. When it comes to sports, when it comes to competitive things, we go to the max. But Jesus is telling us that there are some proper things to seek first. Here it is. Still in the Scripture. Are you there with me? Seek first. Here it is. The kingdom of God. Ooh, Jerry, you know how to rain on a parade. You see, most people have little understanding about what the kingdom of God really is. They don't understand it. They don't comprehend it. 
In Jack Taylor's book, Cosmic Initiative, he says, and Jack Taylor's been one of my uh, guys that I've read and followed and listened to for 45 years, he says that any kingdom requires three king, three things. It requires a king or a king. It requires uh, kingdom citizens, and it requires principles which govern the relationship between the two. I'm a little more simple than Jack. A kingdom must have a king. Are you listening? A kingdom must have a king. And whoever the king is, it's his, it's his kingdom. He gets to make the rules. He gets to call the shots. Now, she doesn't have this anymore. And this is not in my notes. I see my precious wife sitting here, so I need to tell you, we've been married a couple of years. And in the kitchen, <laughs> I saw that look. And in the kitchen of our first house that we bought in Yazoo City, Mississippi, there was a little plaque there that said, the opinions expressed by the husband of this household are not necessarily those of the management. I'm not lying, am I, Deborah? You put that there. Now, you know, it was, it was a joke between she and I, but here's what I want to tell you. Is that in a kingdom, the king sets the rules. I mean, we don't get this. I've said this before. We don't get this. King setting rules? We live in a democratic republic. We live in a democracy. We get to say so. Do you know, I believe that's the problem why people hate Christianity today. They don't understand that we don't get to say so. He's already said. He's already said. We don't get to say. We don't get to say things about what marriage constitutes marriage or sexuality or a right and wrong. We don't get to say in that. Because it's already been said. You see, folks, when we recognize He's the King, and we live in His kingdom, then we abide by His rules and we honor our King because He loves us. We live in a loving kingdom. And we seek first His kingdom, and then it says, and His righteousness. His kingdom and His righteousness. Think about those two words, His and righteousness. What does that mean? It means holy. It means pure. It means spotless. It means without blemish. It means sinless. It means blameless. And you're going, well, that's impossible. Truly? That's impossible, folks? You know, somewhere in the Bible, it says, with God, all things are possible. And by the way, just so that you don't think I'm pulling that out of context, With God, all things were possible. In the context of a virgin conceiving a baby. Who? If a virgin can conceive a baby at the hand of the Holy Spirit, I suspect that pure and blameless and sinless and spotless and holy could find a way into God's people. Now, that don't mean you won't fall. Are you ready? That don't mean you won't trip and fall. The Bible is repeat, replete with people who tripped and fell. Elijah, Moses, John Mark, Peter, Paul. It's not so bad. I had a preacher ask me to write a song on this lyric. It's not so bad when you stumble. 
if you fall on your knees in prayer. When we stumble, we have to have an action to take to fall on knees. Do we really try to honor Him no matter what comes in our lives? Do we make the decisions to follow Him? Do we follow the direction to follow Him? And it points us to righteousness. But there's one last thing here that Jesus mentioned. One last thing. You see, you've already seen this, the decisions that we make to follow Christ, to be saved. The directions that we take, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Hang with me. But the third action is the distractions we must take. What are those distractions? Well, I pointed them out to you. Our text is painfully clear. If you still have your Bibles open, verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteous, righteousness and all these things. If you, do, if you seek Him, all these things will be added to you. What's so interesting about this is that Jesus had just taken the time in verses 25 to verses 31 what all of these things are. And they're essential things. Food and clothing. Shelter. Now, I need to speak a word to all our teenagers today. Don't raise your hand. I'm not trying to embarrass you. But teenagers, please listen. The four essentials of life are not food, clothing, shelter, or phone. Whether you believe it or not, you can live without a cell phone. Now, you may not want to. You may not like to. And now the older people are looking at me. Don't tell them that, Brother Jerry. I can't live without mine now. Jesus is saying, look, look, you can live without it. But the, the truth is, is that, is that we have an unbiblical truth, an uh, unbiblical concept of what's essential today. How about the words of this song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And then, the things of this world will grow down in the light of His glory and grace. Years ago, I heard a uh, well-known counselor tell a story about about a, uh, a couple that he had counseled with. I've used this recently, and it's not in my notes, but it just kind of comes to mind to illustrate this point. And they were at outs with each other, and he dismissed the lady. And he said, um, Sir, what, what do you like about your wife? She, he said, She's always been good to my mama. He goes, okay, write that down. And over the next 20 minutes, they made a list of 10 things. And the counselor told the man, he said, for the next two weeks, 
on your way home from work every day, I want you to pull out this list, and I want you to thank God for those ten things. Weeks went by, and he came back. And when they sat down, the counselor noticed the change. And so they talked a little bit. Things were good. He dismissed the lady again. He asked the man, he said, what's the difference? He said, man, I started thanking God for these things that reminded me of the person I married. All that counselor did, please listen, is he took the magnifying glass of inspection off the negative and he put it on the positive. What I'm calling us to do today is take the magnifying glass off of the world and seek first the kingdom of God. You know why that's so important? Do you know why that's so important? Because we need to see, we need to turn, we need to look, we need to follow every day as a church. Every action we take should be honoring God in all we do. It doesn't matter about tradition. It doesn't matter about what somebody thinks. It's a matter of honoring Him. And when we honor Him, people will come to know Him. When we honor Him, it begins with my life, my attitude, my words, your life, your attitudes, your words. There's a world out there that knows nothing about the Jesus that we gathered to worship and celebrate this morning. Ronnie Cottingham years ago wrote a song and recorded it, You're the Only Bible Some People Read. I'm going to do, I don't do this every Sunday. This happens two Sundays in a row. I want you to hear this song. And I, want you to hear it, I don't want you to hear it just as a song. I want you to hear it as a message to us in a county, in a state, where not even 50% of the people know anything about Jesus. We seek our God in all that we do. Likely, there are some folks here today you can't show people Jesus because you don't know Jesus. You know churches, you know church membership. Jesus loved you. He died for you. He rose for you. He ascended for you. He sits at the right hand of God interceding for you and He wants to come into your life today, forgive you of your sin, and give you a whole new life. Set you free. That's never happened for you. Why not make it happen today? He has His arms open wide. The rest, you know Jesus. But I ask you, have you shaken those distractions of this world? Maybe today is the day to have a come-to-Jesus meeting with Jesus Himself. When I say honor God and all we do, some people will say, Well, Brother Jerry, I thought we're supposed to be about people. Reaching people, that's where you're going with this. Well, I am. But listen, we honor God in all we do. Taking care of people will be second nature.
Let's pray together.